Greetings and salutations. I am Ken Barrios, your success coach. I hope you unleash your talents and maximize your impact without compromising your time. It is my pleasure to read the 16 Laws of Success by Napoleon Hill, written in 1928 and now public domain. My hope is that you will take from these small segments of reading the insight and wisdom of a philosophy that has over a hundred years of practical experimentation. With that said, let us begin. My wife has just returned from the public library with a book for me to read. The book is entitled, Observation, Every Man His Own University, by Russell H. Conwell. By chance I opened this book at the beginning of the chapter entitled Every Man's University, and, as I read it through, my first impulse was to recommend that you go to the public library and read the entire book, but, upon second thought, I will not do this, instead, I will recommend that you purchase the book and read it, not once but a hundred times, because it covers the subject of this lesson as though it had been written for that purpose, covers it in a far more impressive manner than I could do it. The following quotation from the chapter entitled Every Man's University will give you an idea of the golden nugget of truth to be found throughout the book. The intellect can be made to look far beyond beyond the range of what men and women ordinarily see, but not all the colleges in the world can alone confer this power, this is the reward of self-culture, each must acquire it for himself. And perhaps this is why the power of observing deeply and widely is so much oftener found in those men and those women who have never crossed the threshold of any college but the University of Hard Knocks. Read that book as a part of this lesson, because it will prepare you to profit by the philosophy and psychology upon which the lesson is built. We will now analyze the law upon which this entire lesson is founded, namely, the law of increasing returns. Let us begin our analysis by showing how nature employs this law in behalf of the tillers of the soil. The farmer carefully prepares the ground, then saws his wheat and waits while the law of increasing returns brings back the seed he has sown, plus a many-fold increase. But for this law of increasing returns, man would perish, because he could not make the soil produce sufficient food for his existence. There would be no advantage to be gained by sowing a field of wheat if the harvest yield did not return more than was sown. With this vital tip from nature, which we may gather from the wheat fields, let us proceed to appropriate this law of increasing returns and learn how to apply it to the service we render, to the end that it may yield returns in excess of and out of proportion to the effort put forth. First of all, let us emphasize the fact that there is no trickery or chicanery connected with this law, although quite a few seem not to have learned this great truth. Judging by the number who spend all of their efforts either trying to get something for nothing, or something for less than its true value, it is to no such end that we recommend the use of the law of increasing returns, for no such end is possible, within the broad meaning of the word success. Another remarkable and noteworthy feature of the law of increasing returns is the fact that it may be used by those who purchase service with as great returns as it can be by those who render service, for proof of which we have but to study the effects of Henry Ford's famous $5 a day minimum wage scale which he inaugurated some years ago. Those who are familiar with the facts say that Mr. Ford was not playing the part of a philanthropist when he inaugurated this minimum wage scale, but, to the contrary, he was merely taking advantage of a sound business principle which has probably yielded him greater returns, in both dollars and goodwill, than any other single policy ever inaugurated at the Ford plant. By paying more wages than the average, he received more service and better service than the average. At a single stroke, through the inauguration of that minimum wage policy, Ford attracted the best labor on the market and placed a premium upon the privilege of working in his plant. I have no authentic figures at hand bearing on the subject, but I have some reason to conjecture that for every $5 Ford spent, under this policy, he received at least $7.50 worth of service. I have, also, sound reason to believe that this policy enabled Ford to reduce the cost of supervision, because employment in his plant became so desirable that no worker would care to run the risk of losing his position by soldiering on the job or entering poor service, where other employers were forced to depend upon costly supervision in order to get the service to which they were entitled, and for which they were paying. Ford got the same or better service by the less expensive method of placing a premium upon employment in his plant. Marshall Field was probably the leading merchant 29, 
of his time, and the Great Field Store, in Chicago, stands today as a monument to his ability to apply the law of increasing returns. A customer purchased an expensive lace waist at the field store, but did not wear it. Two years later she gave it to her niece as a wedding present. The niece quietly returned the waist to the field store and exchanged it for other merchandise, despite the fact that it had been out for more than two years and was then out of style. Not only did the field store take back the waist, but, what is of more importance it did so without argument. Of course there was no obligation, moral or legal, on the part of the store to accept the return of the waist at that late date, which makes the transaction all the more significant. The waist was originally priced at $50, and of course it had to be thrown on the bargain counter and sold for whatever it would bring. But the keen student of human nature will understand that the field store not only did not lose anything on the waist, but it actually profited by the transaction to an extent that cannot be measured in mere dollars. The woman who returned the waist knew that she was not entitled to a rebate, therefore, when the store gave her that to which she was not entitled the transaction won her as a permanent customer. But the effect of the transaction did not end here, it only began, for this woman spread the news of the fair treatment she had received at the field store, far and near. It was the talk of the women over set for many days, and the field store received more advertising from the transaction than it could have purchased in any other way with ten times the value of the waste. The success of the field store was built largely upon Marshall Field's understanding of the law of increasing returns, which prompted him to adopt, as a part of his business policy, the slogan, The customer is always right, when you do only that for which you are paid, there is nothing out of the ordinary to attract favorable comment about the transaction, but, when you willingly do more than that for which you are paid, your action attracts the favorable attention of all who are affected by the transaction, and goes another step toward establishing a reputation that will eventually set the law of increasing returns to work in your behalf for this reputation will create a demand for your services, far and wide. Carol Downs went to work for W.C. Durant, the automobile manufacturer, in a minor position. He is now Mr. Durant's right-hand man, and the president of one of his automobile distributing companies. He promoted himself into this profitable position solely through the aid of the law of increasing returns, which he put into operation by rendering more service and better service than that for which he was paid. In a recent visit with Mr. Downs I asked him to tell me how he managed to gain promotion so rapidly. In a few brief sentences he told the whole story. When I first went to work with Mr. Durant, said he, I noticed that he always remained at the office long after all the others had gone home for the day, and I made it my business to stay there, also, no one asked me to stay, but I thought someone should be there to give Mr. Durant any assistance he might need, often he would look around for someone to bring him a letter file, or render some other trivial service, and always he found me there ready to serve him. He got into the habit of calling on me, that is about all there is to the story, he got into the habit of calling on me, read that sentence again, for it is full of meaning of the richest sort. Why did Mr. Durant get into the habit of calling on Mr. Downs? Because Mr. Downs made it his business to be on hand where he would be seen. He deliberately placed himself in Mr. Durant's way in order that he might render service that would place the law of increasing returns back of him. Was he told to do this? No. Was he paid to do it? Yes. He was paid by the opportunity it offered for him to bring himself to the attention of the man who had it within his power to promote him. We are now approaching the most important part of this lesson, because this is an appropriate place at which to suggest that you have the same opportunity to make use of the law of increasing returns that Mr. Downs had, and you can go about the application of the law in exactly the same way that he did, by being on hand and ready to volunteer your services in the performance of work which others may shirk because they are not paid to do it. Stop. Don't say it don't even think it if you have the slightest intention of springing that old time-worn phrase entitled, but my employer is different. Of course he is different. All men are different in most respects, but they are very much alike in this. They are somewhat selfish. In fact they are selfish enough not to want a man such as Carol Downs to cast his lot with their competitor. And this very selfishness may be made to serve you as an asset and not as a liability if you have the good judgment to make yourself so useful that the person to whom you sell your services cannot get along without you. One of the most advantageous promotions I ever received came about through an incident which seemed so insignificant that it appeared to be unimportant. One Saturday afternoon, a lawyer, whose office was on the same floor as that of my employer, came in and asked if I knew where he could get a stenographer to do some 
some work which he was compelled to finish that day. I told him that all of our stenographers had gone to the ball game, and that I would have been gone had he called five minutes later, but that I would be very glad to stay and do his work as I could go to a ball game any day and his work had to be done then. I did the work for him, and when he asked how much he owed me I replied, Oh, about a thousand dollars, as long as it is you, if it were for anyone else, I wouldn't charge anything, he smiled, and thanked me. Little did I think, when I made that remark, that he would ever pay me a thousand dollars for that afternoon's work, but he did. Six months later, after I had entirely forgotten the incident, he called on me again and asked how much salary I was receiving. When I told him he informed me that he was ready to pay me that thousand dollars which I had laughingly said I would charge them for the work I had performed for him and he did pay it by giving me a position at a thousand dollars a year increase in salary. Unconsciously, I had put the law of increasing returns to work in my behalf that afternoon by giving up the ball game and rendering a service which was obviously rendered out of a desire to be helpful and not for the sake of a monetary consideration. It was not my duty to give up my Saturday afternoon, but it was my privilege. Furthermore, it was a profitable privilege, because it yielded me a thousand dollars in cash and a much more responsible position than the one I had formerly occupied. It was Carol Down's duty to be on hand until the usual quitting time, but it was his privilege to remain at his post after the other workers had gone. And that privilege properly exercised brought him greater responsibilities and a salary that yields him more in a year than he would have made in a lifetime in the position he occupied before he exercised the privilege. I have been thinking for more than 25 years of this privilege of performing more service and better service than that for which we are paid, and my thoughts have led me to the conclusion that a single hour devoted each day to rendering service for which we are not paid, can be made to yield bigger returns than we receive from the entire remainder of the day the day during which we are merely performing our duty. Break break, I would like to have a quick word from our sponsor. Thank you for your time, let's get back to the reading. We are still in the neighborhood of the most important part of this lesson, therefore, think and assimilate as you pass over these pages, the law of increasing returns is no invention of mine, nor do I lay claim to the discovery of the principle of rendering more service and better service than paid for, as a means of utilizing this law, I merely appropriated them, after many years of careful observation of those forces which enter into the attainment of success, just as you will appropriate them after you understand their significance. You might begin this appropriation process now by trying an experiment which may easily open your eyes and place back of your efforts powers that you did not know you possessed. Let me caution you, however, not to attempt this experiment in the same spirit in which a certain woman experimented with that biblical passage which says something to the effect that if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard, and say to yonder mountain be removed to some other place, it will be removed. This woman lived near a high mountain that she could see from her front door, therefore, as she retired that night she commanded the mountain to remove itself to some other place. Next morning she jumped out of bed, rushed to the door and looked out, but lo the mountain was still there. Then she said, just as I had expected, I knew it would be there, I am going to ask you to approach this experiment, with full faith that it will mark one of the most important turning points of your entire life. I am going to ask you to make the object of this experiment the removal of a mountain that is standing where your temple of success should stand, but where it never can stand until you have removed the mountain. You may never have noticed the mountain to which I refer, but it is standing there in your way just the same, unless you have already discovered and removed it. And what is this mountain, you ask? It is the feeling that you have been cheated unless you receive material pay for all the service you render. That feeling may be unconsciously expressing itself and destroying the very foundation of your temple of success in scores of ways that you have not observed. In the very lowly bread type of humanity, this feeling usually seeks outward expression in terms something like this, I am not paid to do this and I'll be blankety blankety blank if I'll do it, you know the type to which reference is made. You have met with it many times, but you have never found a single person of this type who was successful, and you never will. Success must be attracted through understanding and application of laws which are as immutable as is the law of gravitation. It cannot be driven into the corner and captured as one would capture a wild steer. For this reason you are requested to enter into the following experiment with the object of familiarizing yourself with one of the most important of these laws, namely, the law of increasing returns. 
The experiment, during the next six months make it your business to render useful service to at least one person every day, for which you neither expect nor accept monetary pay. Go at this experiment with faith that it will uncover for your use one of the most powerful laws that enter into the achievement of enduring success, and you will not be disappointed. The rendering of this service may take on any one of more than a score of forms. For example, it may be rendered personally to one or more specific persons, or it may be rendered to your employer, in the nature of work that you perform after hours. Again, it may be rendered to entire strangers whom you never expect to see again. It matters not to whom you render this service so long as you render it with willingness, and solely for the purpose of benefiting others. If you carry out this experiment in the proper attitude of mind, you will discover that which all others who have become familiar with the law upon which it is based have discovered, namely, that, you can no more render service without receiving compensation than you can withhold the rendering of it without suffering the loss of reward. Cause and effect, means and ends, seed and fruit, cannot be severed, says Emerson, for the effect already blooms in the cause, the end that pre-exists in the means, the fruit and the seed. If you serve an ungrateful master, serve him the more. Put God in your debt. Every stroke shall be repaid. The longer the payment is withholden, the better for you, for compound interest on compound interest is the rate and usage of this exchequer. The law of nature is, do the thing and you shall have the power, but they who do not the thing have not the power. Men suffer all their life long, under the foolish superstition that they can be cheated, but it is as impossible for a man to be cheated by anyone but himself, as for a thing to be, and not to be, at the same time. There is a third silent party to all our bargains. The nature and soul of things takes on itself the guarantee of fulfillment of every contract, so that honest service cannot come to loss, before you begin the experiment that you have been requested to undertake. Read Emerson's essay on compensation, for it will go a very long way toward helping you to understand why you are making the experiment. Perhaps you have read compensation before. Read it again. One of the strange phenomena that you will observe about this essay may be found in the fact that every time you read it you will discover new truths that you did not notice during previous readings. A few years ago I was invited to deliver the graduation address before the students of an eastern college. During my address I dwelt at length, and with all the emphasis at my command, on the importance of rendering more service and better service than that for which one is paid. After the address was delivered, the president and the secretary of the college invited me to luncheon. While we were eating, the secretary turned to the president and said, I have just found out what this man is doing. He is putting himself ahead in the world by first helping others to get ahead. In that brief statement he had epitomized the most important part of my philosophy on the subject of success. It is literally true that you can succeed best and quickest by helping others to succeed. Some ten years ago, when I was engaged in the advertising business, I built my entire clientele by the application of the fundamentals upon which this lesson is founded. By having my name placed on the follow-up lists of various mail-order houses I received their sales literature. When I received a sales letter or a booklet or a folder which I believed I could improve I went right to work on it and made the improvement, then sent it back to the firm that had sent it to me, with a letter stating that this was but a trifling sample of what I could do, that there were plenty of other good ideas where that one came from, and that I would be glad to render regular service for a monthly fee. Invariably this brought an order for my services. On one occasion I remembered that the firm was dishonest enough to appropriate my idea and use it without paying me for it, but this turned out to be an advantage to me, in this way. A member of the firm who was familiar with the transaction started another business and as a result of the work I had done for his former associates, for which I was not paid, he engaged me to serve him, on a basis that paid me more than double the amount I would have realized from his original firm. Thus the law of compensation gave back to me, and with compound interest added, that which I had lost by rendering service to those who were dishonest. If I were looking for a profitable field of employment today, I could find it by again putting into action this plan of rewriting sales literature as a means of creating a market for my services. 
Perhaps I would find others who would appropriate my ideas without paying for them. But by and large people would not do this for the simple reason that it would be more profitable to them to deal fairly with me and thereby avail themselves of my continued services. Several years ago I was invited to deliver a lecture before the students of the Palmer School at Davenport, Iowa. My manager completed arrangements for me to accept the invitation under the regular terms in effect at that time, which were $100 for the lecture and my traveling expenses. When I arrived at Davenport, I found a reception committee awaiting me at the depot and that evening I was given one of the warmest welcomes I had ever received during my public career, up to that time. I met many delightful people from whom I gathered many valuable facts that were of benefit to me, therefore, when I was asked to make out my expense account so the school could give me a check, I told them that I had received my pay, many times over, by that which I had learned while I was there. I refused my fee and returned to my office, in Chicago, feeling well repaid for the trip. The following morning Dr. Palmer went before the 2,000 students of his school and announced what I had said about feeling repaid by what I had learned, and added, in the 20 years that I have been conducting this school I have had scores of speakers address the student's body, but this is the first time I ever knew a man to refuse his fee because he felt that he had been repaid for his services in other ways. This man is the editor of a national magazine and I advise every one of you to subscribe for that magazine. Because such a man as this must have much that each of you will need when you go into the field and offer your services, by the middle of that week I had received more than $6,000 for subscriptions to the magazine of which I was editor. And during the following two years these same 2,000 students and their friends sent in more than $50,000 for subscriptions. Tell me, if you can, how or where I could have invested $100 as profitably as this, by refusing to accept my $100 fee and thereby setting the law of increasing returns to work in my behalf? We go through two important periods in this life, one is that period during which we are gathering, classifying and organizing knowledge, and the other is that period during which we are struggling for recognition. We must first learn something, which requires more effort than most of us are willing to put into the job, but, after we have learned much that can be of useful service to others, we are still confronted, with the problem of convincing them that we can serve them. One of the most important reasons why we should always be not only ready but willing to render service, is the fact that every time we do so, we gain thereby another opportunity to prove to someone that we have ability. We go just one more step toward gaining the necessary recognition that we must all have. Instead of saying to the world, show me the color of your money and I will show you what I can do, reverse the rule and say, let me show you the color of my service so that I may take a look at the color of your money if you like my service. In 1917 a certain woman who was then nearing the 50-year mile post of life, was working as a stenographer, at $15 a week, judging by the salary she must have been none too competent in that work. Now note this change, last year, this same woman cleared a little over $100,000 on the lecture platform. What bridged that mighty chasm between these two earning capacities you ask, and I answer. Thank you for your time today. I hope you learned as much as I did in this reading. If you ever desire to connect with me, you can email me at kb at keybravo.com. That is kb at keybravo.com. Have a wonderful day and may you be blessed with all the success you endeavor.